0: Imagine what heaven is like. Just right now, take 10 seconds and just think, what what does heaven look like? What does it feel like, sound like? You might imagine uh, big fluffy clouds with angels playing harps on them, or... You know, maybe you are picturing the throne room and you see all these angels and these these crazy creatures and they're just worshiping Jesus night and day for all eternity. Maybe you're imagining, um, you know, pearly gates and mansions and pristine lakes and just this beautiful scenery and nature and everything's healthy and gorgeous. But my guess is. That most, if not all of us, when we imagined heaven just then, we imagined a place we go when we die. And that is absolutely a thing. Like, as believers, when we die, we get to go spend eternal life in this wonderful, amazing place with Jesus. And the Bible does talk about that. But the Bible talks about heaven way more as a place that is supposed to come here. That heaven, which is God's dwelling place, where, you know, his space, his domain, and earth, which is humans' dwelling place, that they would be one. That he could come and be with his people in every way. That heaven and earth, his space and our space, would be united. And not just united, they'd be reunited. Because that was actually the original design. If you go back to to the Garden of Eden in Genesis, the very beginning, God makes this beautiful place. And he puts mankind in it. And then he walks with them. His space and our space were one. And then sin comes into the picture. And death and the fall of mankind and and all of that. And all of a sudden, our space and his space have to be separate. Because our space is now one of death and unholiness and injustice. And his space is full of light and righteousness and everything good. And so they have to be separate. But God doesn't like that. That's not what he wants. And so scripture tells us this story of how he comes to us, of how his space and our space come back together. And so in the Old Testament, you have these temples which were very specific places that were designed in very specific ways. And if you were a specific person of a specific tribe on a specific day, if you did very specific rituals, you could go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the manifest physical presence of God was here on earth. And, oh yeah, if you didn't quite do all of those things right, you would die. And that's not a euphemism. You would literally die. They, they actually used to tie um, ropes and bells around the high priest's ankles because if you were outside and you stopped hearing the bells, that meant the high priest Joe wasn't with us anymore. So they had to literally pull him back with the ropes. That is literally what the ancient Hebrews did. But it was okay. Okay. Because it still meant that, that God was dwelling here on earth in these little pockets. That heaven was coming to earth in, in some way. But that wasn't enough for the Lord. Because his heart is for all people. So Jesus comes. And Jesus is kind of the personification of, of heaven and earth meeting. Because he's fully God and he's fully man. And so he comes and, and he interacts with, with all these different people. And, and every interaction, every encounter someone has with Jesus, a little more of heaven comes to earth. And so you see these healings and resurrections and, and uh, freedom breaking out and lepers being cleansed and sins being forgiven and all these amazing things. And heaven comes more and more. And that was good. It was even better than the temple's. But it still wasn't enough for the Lord, because His heart is for all people for all time, not just those who, you know, got to meet Jesus or meet one of His disciples when they were walking here on Earth. So then, Holy Spirit comes, and so now every believer gets the Lord's Spirit in us. God's dwelling place is now in us. He can't get any closer. He's, he's closer than our skin. And so now we as believers, we have the very DNA of heaven. We have the presence of God. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. So we have the DNA of heaven, the, all the resources of, of God's space in us. here we are still on earth, still in mankind's space. How do we bridge that gap? Well, this is the fun part, because we are actually now part of God's great plan. That that plan to bring heaven and earth together, to to reunite his space and our space, for the Lord to dwell with his people in every way for all time, we are now a part of that. So now because we have his spirit, we have access to heaven, we get to, to bring heaven here. We get to bring his kingdom here. Now, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. And maybe that sounds even like hard work. But it's not because Jesus did all the hard work. We just have to say yes. We just have to agree with the Lord, with, with who he is, with, with what his kingdom's like, with what his ways and his will are. Matthew 16 says this, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified version. It it should come up on the screens as well. Now, when Jesus went into a region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ The Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed, happy, spiritually secure, favored by God are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, mortal man, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades' death will not overcome it by preventing the resurrection of Christ." I will give you the keys, authority of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. We as his church have the authority of the kingdom of heaven. We have the keys. Now, this does not mean that we can just go around binding and loosen whatever we want. It's not, oh, I don't like that, so I'm going to bind that. I like that. I'm going to loosen it. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is about agreement. That we would actually know what's going on in heaven so that we can use our authority to release it here. That I would actually, you know, well, this is loosed in heaven, so I'm going to loose it here. And this is bound, so I'm going to bound it. So I know heaven is, is a place of healing. It's a place of, of love and joy. So I release those things here. I know it's not a place of, of fear or demonic oppression. And so I say no to that here. I pray against that Here. On this rock, the rock that is, is the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, he's the living God, on that rock of truth, we, uh, we receive this authority, and the Lord says he will build his church on it. He will build a church that even the gates of Hades will not prevail against. Now that word for church is a Greek word, ecclesia. And when Jesus was speaking, it was not a religious term. It was actually a governmental term. It was, it was what um, like a, a legislative body of a city was called. And they would gather together, and they would discern what their city should do. They would guide the city and uh, influence it. The church on the rock of who Jesus is and the authority we've been given by him is supposed to influence the city we live in. We're supposed to be guiding the world because we have the answer. We know what heaven's like. We know what this earth is supposed to be. So we're supposed to be influencing. We're supposed to be spreading heaven wherever we go. And we have the authority to do that. There's so many references. So many times the Lord speaks to us in scripture and says we have his authority. Genesis, very beginning, he says to Adam and Eve, what does he say? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over this earth. Romans 8 calls us co-heirs with Christ. Matthew 28, the Great commissioned. we are commissioned, we are entrusted with the gospel, the message of the Lord, and sent to the ends of the earth. Exodus and 1 Peter calls us kings and priests. 2 Corinthians 6 calls us co-workers of God. I really like that one. In the Gospels, multiple times, Jesus sends out his followers and says, you have authority to tread on serpents, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. 2 Corinthians 5.19, I'm going to read this one to you. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are God's ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? It literally means to function as a representative of the ruling authority or to exercise the authority of the sender. So, for example, uh, the American ambassador here in the UK is a woman called Jane Hartley. Um, I'm pretty sure it's still her. And her job is to represent America here, to represent America's interests, to be the bridge and build relationships with the UK, um, to really just do anything an American leader needs to do in this country. So she literally functions as a representative of the U.S. She exercises the authority that the U.S. has given her here. And we get to do the same thing with Christ. We get to function as his representative to exercise the authority of him who sent us. And God won't bypass that. He won't override the authority he's been given. He's given us. He won't, he won't override the, the structures that he's put in place. He doesn't go back on himself. So he's given us his full authority But he's also given us free will. Jesus doesn't force us to do anything. He doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to obey. He doesn't force us to to do something or or go somewhere or or anything. He always just invites us. So he says, oh, look, look at this thing I'm doing. Come, don't you want to be a part of it? Come on, come on, come join me. And he says, oh, look, I wired you and I gifted you in this specific way. And look, I have this opportunity for you. Come come on, come on, don't you want to do this? And we have to say yes to it. We get to say yes to it. But it's a choice. We get to say yes or no to using our authority. And if we say no, he's not going to override it. He's not going to go back on the authority he's given us and the free will he's given us. So when we say yes, when we agree with him, when we say yes to what he's inviting us to, when we agree that, yes, we want your kingdom here, we want heaven, your space to invade this earth in every way, well, it comes. Super practically, what does this mean? Because that's great, right? Like theologically, you're like, oh, yeah, cool, that sounds great. <laughs> Sign me up for that. But that actually looks like something. So, super practically, it means we pray. We pray a lot, we pray all the time. Prayer is literally just dialoguing with the creator of the universe. Why wouldn't we want to do that? It is the best. We get to talk to the creator of the universe, the King of Kings, and we get to ask him, what's on your heart? What do you have for this land? What do you have for this person? And then we get to agree with it and see it happen. It's amazing. You know, a few, um, was it a month ago now? I can't remember what it was. But we did this, um, this serving Sunday here. And we talked about the importance of serving. And there were these little uh, sheets of paper that were on seats. And you ticked the boxes of the teams you were interested in. And hopefully you've even maybe started serving on those teams, which is really fun and exciting. Um, but a few people wrote in the space there that they wanted to be on the intercession team, the prayer team. And I love the heart of that. I was like, that is great. love that people are hungry for that. But here's the thing. We don't have an intercession team here. And we very intentionally don't have an intercession or prayer team. And that's because we don't want it just to be for a few. Intercession is not just for the super holy people. It's not just for the people over a certain age demographic. It's not just for the people who like really enjoy it. It's for everyone. Prayer is not a team activity. It's a church activity. We all should be praying for his kingdom to come. You might not know this, but Coastline has three prayer meetings every week that you can come to. We pray Wednesday mornings, we pray Friday mornings, and we pray Sunday mornings right here behind the stage, 10 to 10.30. You're invited to all of them. I would love to have you at all of them. It's amazing. I I do the the Wednesday morning one. It's one of my favorite things. We gather in the morning and we're on Zoom, and we're each in our little Bournemouth houses and, and flats, and we're drinking our coffee, and we're praying for heaven to come. And we pray it for schools, we pray for church, we, you know, we pray all these different things, we pray for different countries. And I know for certain that when I die, Jesus is going to tell me about what those prayers did. I know it. I can't wait. But we can pray for Estonia, not because we've been there, I've never been to Estonia. I don't know what it's like, but I know what the kingdom's like. I know what heaven's like. I know what my king thinks about Estonia. He loves it. And so I can pray and agree with him. And I can say, yes, send revival to the youth, Jesus. Bring spiritual hunger to Estonia. And I'm agreeing with what he wants to do. And so he's like, yes, use your authority. Yes, partner with me. Yes, let kingdom come in Estonia. That's what prayer does. So we pray. We engage in worship. Worship is not a passive activity. It's not a spectator sport. Worship is about declaring who Jesus is in word and in song and in action. And so we don't sit passively by and think, oh, I don't really like this song. Oh, I wish that person was leading worship. Oh, wait, Jesus, I'm just really tired, and I'm really annoyed at this person sitting next to me. And No. Worship is saying, yeah, this isn't my favorite, Jesus. It's saying, hey, I'm, I've actually had a really hard week, Lord. I'm going through something really tough. But I know it's not about me, it's about you. And so I give you whatever it is I'm feeling, whatever capacity I'm at. It might be less than I had to offer yesterday, but I'm offering all of it. And we engage in worship. We say yes and amen to who he is, that he is king, that he is good, that he is holy, that he's just, that he's merciful, that he's mighty. And when we do, heaven comes. I used to work for a ministry called Burn 24-7, and it's a, a prayer and worship ministry. And we did 30 days of nonstop prayer and worship over the course of the London Olympics in 2012. Nonstop worship. And we saw some of the craziest things happen. We had a conversation with a police officer one night who was genuinely dumbfounded. That he hadn't been called out for a stabbing or violent crime in four days. He literally was was gobsmacked. He he was confused. He was like, This is so crazy, you know. We were told to expect violence to go up and and there's just been nothing. Like, I feel like I'm not really doing anything. And and I'm like, Oh, well, it's the Prince of Peace. He's come to London. We, we had a sex trafficking ring about a quarter mile down the road from us that was busted. And we didn't know that was happening. The police didn't even know it was happening. They literally knocked on the door of this house to arrest a guy for a very low-level drug charge, and they just happened upon this terrible atrocity. And almost 20 women were set free. We had no idea that was going on. But we knew who Jesus is. And so we were praying and worshiping Jesus, you are a God of justice, so come with your justice to London. Come with your justice, set the captives free. And he did it. Because when we agree with who he is, when we declare that the God of justice is here, injustices have to fall. we go. Jesus has entrusted us with his message. He's entrusted us with his spirit, with his presence, with his heart, with his words. And so we get to go to the ends of the earth with that. We offer compassion when people are suffering we speak the truth in love to those who need to hear it. We mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We fight for justice. And every time we do that, every time we actively and intentionally bring the Lord into a space, heaven invades earth more. It comes that much more. How does heaven invade earth? How does God's kingdom come? Through ordinary people like me and you. Who just say yes to Jesus. Who just agree with him. And say, I know what your kingdom is like. And so yes, I want it here in Bournemouth. I want it here in my schools. I want it in my family, in my workplace. I want it in my Sainsbury's and my Aldi. I want it everywhere I go. That's how heaven comes through our yes, through our agreement.